What a topic. Unforgivable sin, right? Weren't you just looking forward to that today? Um, Notice that Ryan and Brandon skipped that passage and left it for me, right? What's up with that? Um, When I first thought, I saw it, I thought, well, thanks a lot, Ryan. You, you, You give me such... But then, you know, as I studied through it, I thought, wow, this is such a great thing. There's so much to learn. And really, the, 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 the big thing to learn in this, in this passage is all about the Holy Spirit. It's all about um, who is the Holy Spirit and what blessing do we have in the Holy Spirit. But this whole thing about the, you know, it's kind of ushered in through the teaching of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit you know, there's, there's a, a lot of confusion in the Christian community about what that means um, and a lot of fear that goes along with it. It's, it's like, it's, it's, I, I kind of thought about, it's like being called to the principal's office when, when I was in elementary school. Have you ever been to call the principal's office? Yeah, yeah. I see it in your face, rascals. Uh, so I was fifth grade, Miss Handy's class, and our school principal was Mr. Kenimer. And let me tell you what, this guy, he struck fear in your heart. I think even the teachers feared him. Not that he was mean, it's just that, first of all, he's this very rotund person, and he had the lowest voice I've ever heard in my life. And when he spoke, it was very distinct. And uh, <clears throat> so he'd come on to the, 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 the PA system on the school and, and say something, and we're all going, you know. So one day... The thing came on, and he's on Mr. Kenimer, and he says, he says this, Rodney Intrican, come to the principal's office. That's what they call me back then, Rodney. Well, I mean, I'm just shaking in my boots, and every step towards the principal's office, I'm just thinking my knees are going to give way. What have I done? So, and, so this whole thing about the blasphemy uh, against the Holy Spirit there's some concern, you know, that <clears throat> what if I've done it? You know, what if I've this unforgivable, eternal sin? You know, some people say that it was uh, murder. Well, we know that Moses and David and Paul committed murder when they were forgiven. Some say that it was uh, adultery. When David committed adultery, he was forgiven. Not, I mean, we're not making light of these sins, right? But th- they were grievous sins, but they were forgiven. Uh, some say that it was, um, you know, in a rash moment, denying Christ uh, like Peter did. Uh, you know, it even said some very, very irreverent things about God, about Jesus. But we know that Peter was forgiven, right? Not that that was not grievous. Yes, it was, but he was forgiven. Some people say it was suicide. How can it be? There's not one thing in the Bible that tells us or even alludes to that this, the unforgivable sin is suicide. Not one. So it can't be that also. What God doesn't say to us, we don't, you don't make a church doctrine out of speculation. So there's a lot of uh, confusion and fear that comes with it. Um, so what we want to do today is, is look, at, look at this passage and the context of it is spoken of in three places in Matthew and Mark and in Luke and we're going to use some of Matthew to give a little more light to it. Matthew, if you're ever looking for something that Jesus did or said, start in Matthew because it's the most complete of the Gospels. You know, the bean counter, he's just more exact. Um, 
Say, you must be a bean counter. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. So let's look at what Matthew says, Matthew 12, verse 24. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, Jesus, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? Now, what that means is son of David is who? That is God's Messiah for us. So the people are saying, could this be the Messiah? Well, the Pharisees couldn't have that. So when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by uh, Beelzebub, which is another name for Satan, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Now, what they had seen here was an incontestable, undeniable, in-your-face miracle. Now, they, 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 couldn't, they couldn't at all support the position that Jesus was the Messiah. So they, they only had two options. One was that, that he is who he says he is. The other one was that he did this through the power of Satan. This, you know, the power that could do this. There is power in Satan. So they came up with this idea probably very, very quick. Hey, what do we do? That it was that he did this through the power of Satan. So... Jesus then rebuts with his logic um, that he, he says, okay, this is, if, if it can't be through Satan because that means a house divided and everybody understood the parable. Everybody understood what a house divided was. Um, you've had conflict in your family, right? We've all had conflict in our family. Conflict's not bad. It's how we deal with it can be the good or bad. So, but while we're in conflict, we're stuck. So you think about, if this is Satan working against Satan, he's stuck. He's not going to go anywhere. He says, that's illogical. It doesn't work that way. And so he also said that he's bound the strong man. Who can bind the strong man but God? And basically he's saying there, I am, I am the, the Messiah, the Son of the Son of God. So the big idea here really is, the big idea for today is missing, is dissing and missing the Holy Spirit. Now we don't use blasphemy that much, but we do use dissing, right? So dissing and missing the Holy Spirit, we don't want to do that because when you do, you miss out big time. Of course, we want to know what does it mean? What does blasphemy actually mean? we got Three things we're going to look at, lies for us to deny, truths for us to believe, and blessings of the Holy Spirit. All right. So the, the Pharisees have the two options. They, they chose the wrong option. This, this is an undeniable miracle. Everybody saw it. Everybody knew that this man was blind and mute and that now he could see and speak. It was incontestable that there was a miracle that just happened. And they chose to say that it was the work of Satan. So his, his logic, house divided, and then he gives the warning. All right, this is a tough warning. He says, verse 28 of Mark 3, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whoever blasphemes they utter, whatever blasphemes they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness and is guilty of an eternal sin, for they are saying he has an unclean spirit. Now, from that, there's three questions we want to answer today. Question number one is, what is blasphemy? 
Number two, why did Jesus say that blasphemy against anyone else, as a matter of fact, in Matthew says, even against him, but against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven? And uh, why is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit the unforgivable sin? So let's look at those three questions. Number one, what is blasphemy? In just common, everyday, ordinary language, we would say, or it is the case of what blasphemy is, is just speaking evil of someone. We don't usually use that term. I, he just blasphemed against me. But we do say he dissed me. Um, it is, generally speaking, it's, it's speaking evil of someone. It's slandering someone's good name in an injurious way. Now, in this particular case, the language is it, it is attributing something that God did to evil. It's taking a divine act and making it evil. Attributing it, attributing it to evil. So the second question is, why did Jesus say that blasphemy against anyone else would be forgiven but not against the Holy Spirit? Because in Matthew 12, verse 28, Jesus himself makes it clear that it is by the Spirit of God that he performs these miracles, these great things that they had all heard about and seen. It is by the Spirit of God. It wasn't him, the man, the God-man, but it was the Holy Spirit working in him. Now, now um, I hope you're thinking this right now, that... Wow, the Holy Spirit that gave Jesus the power to do all these extraordinary things, that same Spirit is in me. Are you thinking that? So I hope you are, because we're going to hold on to it. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. Then also Jesus said, he says, uh, uh, um, the kingdom of God has come upon you. What does he say when he says that? He's, he is saying, the power and the authority of the kingdom of God is standing right here in front of your face. Right here in front of your face. So recognize it and accept it. The, the Pharisees just couldn't do it. They couldn't accept it. So why is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit not forgiven? Well, we learned something about that from Mark 3, verses 1 through 5. And that really has to do with the hardness of the heart. You've already, you have already kind of see it with the Pharisees. They, they were so hard and they, hard, they had so hardened themselves that they couldn't recognize the truth that was right in front of their face. Mark 3, 1 said, And again he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand and they watched Jesus to see whether or not he would heal him on the Sabbath. Here's their purpose, so that they could accuse him. That's their whole purpose is to accuse Jesus, not to see God do something wonderful. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here, and he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with, at, with anger, Jesus, with anger, and grieved at their hardness of heart, and he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. You see, they refused to believe. That is the unforgivable sin. They refused to repent and believe. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is wide-eyed, willful refusal to believe that what 
was right in front of them and slandering the work of the Spirit, attributing to the devil something that was divine. You know, there's another place I've been impressed with this ever since I ran across the passage in John 11. Again, here the Pharisees... Now, first of all, just remember, these are religious people. These are people who go to church. They had seen and heard Jesus do all these amazing things, and this is their response. John eleven forty seven. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we going to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. See what? They're more interested in their jobs, job security, than they are in whether or not God's Messiah had come. Rather than recognizing the truth about their Messiah, they're more interested in keeping their jobs. These people had seen as clearly as anyone could see and understood as lucidly as anyone could understand that Jesus performed these miracles by the power of the Spirit. Yet, they defiantly insisted, contrary to what they knew to be true, that it was Satan who empowered him. So the the sin, therefore, is not unforgivable because there's some defect in the atoning work of Jesus. It's not unforgivable because there's a limit to God's grace and mercy or because of some other shortcoming in the character of God. It is unforgivable because of the defiance of what one knows beyond a shadow of doubt to be true, yet in hardness of heart is determined to deny it, reject it, and defame it. When our kids were little, uh, we went on a little family trip to a place called Dinosaur Flats in Texas. And... um, what it what this was all about is a, a family, just average little family. They're gonna be, they want to expand their patio, and so they go out there and they start digging around the existing patio, and they uncovered a dinosaur print. So they call the paleontologist, and within a few days, two thousand paleontologists appear on their property, and they're excavating all around. They find many, many, many dinosaur prints, and of course, there this is a big find, and it's a big deal. It's going to hit the news, you know, it's all this stuff. And then they uncovered one dinosaur print, and in the middle, and I've seen it with my own eyes, they saw it with their own eyes, in the middle of this dinosaur print was a human footprint, undeniable. What did they do? They packed up and went home. They couldn't handle the empirical evidence of something that their heart denied. So for forgiveness to come, it comes only with repentance and faith. So Mark 1, 15 says, Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. For there to be forgiveness, we have to repent. There is no forgiveness without repentance and faith in believing in God. That is the way he's designed for it to work. In order for anyone to receive forgiveness of sins, they have to repent. They must turn from sin to God and cast themselves on the grace to follow him. So, 
whatever sin that you've committed, no matter how grievous it is to God, if you repent of that sin, you confess and you agree with God that you have sinned against Him, for you to say, God, I confess my sin, I am sorry, please forgive me. There is nothing that you could do that God's grace will not extend to that place. You will be forgiven. The Pharisees were beyond forgiveness because they were beyond repentance. The sin, this sin precludes pardon because by its very nature it precludes repentance. So if you're ashamed of your sin and you confess your sin before God and he, you ask for forgiveness, you can be sure you have not committed the unforgivable sin. And that's good to know, right? Put all fears to rest unless you're still living in unbelief and unrepentance. If you are, then take Jesus' warning here. All right, number two, uh, truths for us to believe. I told you what's going to come back to this. this. You have, if you're a follower of Christ, if you're a follower and believer of Jesus Christ, you have the same spirit in you that Jesus had in him and has to perform these amazing, extraordinary works. The same Spirit. He, he makes it clear to us, John 14, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the same works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. You see, uh, without him going to the Father, we only had one Jesus walking around here. And uh, as he was telling his disciples <clears throat> that he was going to be going to Jerusalem and be uh, killed by the elders and would raise on the third day, they're going, no, 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 no. And he says, no, I have to because if I don't, the Father will not send the comfort of the Holy Spirit. You see, right now you've only got one Jesus among you, but then when the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside you, then you're all Jesuses. You see, if, if, if everyone here, but I'm not, I'm not going to assume that everyone here is a, a Christ follower, believer, but if you were, we got this many Jesuses in the room. Isn't that great? And the same Spirit that lived and worked in Jesus to perform all those things lives in you, is in you. Uh, some say that these extraordinary gifts have ceased. I, don't, I, I cannot find that anywhere in the Bible. It's based on conjecture. Uh, the Bible, uh, 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 conversely, 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, Do not quench the Spirit. Acts um, uh, 7.51 says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did so also to you. So Jesus says, whoever believes in me. He didn't say just the apostles then. Now the office and of apostle and prophet have changed. They're no longer revelatory by their nature. But these gifts God still gives, and he gives them to us. Jonathan Edwards, who is one of the uh, um, pastors, theologians that we uh, really look to a lot for good, sound position on things, and on this and in his book, Distinguishing Marks of the Work of the Spirit of God, his, his titles are always very long. And you, you really need a PhD to read it because uh, he was so smart and tells and his language was different. So it, it takes me to like, I have to read the same paragraph three or four times. 
But I'm going to use, this is just what he said about this. This is what Jonathan Edwards said in that book, Distinguishing Marks of the Work of the Spirit of God. He says, what the church has been used to is not a rule by which we are to judge. Basically, what your, your experience is not what you go by. Because there may be new and extraordinary works of God, and he has heretofore evidently wrought in an extraordinary manner, he has brought to pass new things, strange things, and has wrought in such a manner as to surprise both men and angels. And as God has done thus in times past, so we have no reason to think but that he will do so still. Uh, the PCA took a, a position on this in 1978 with a pastoral letter which says, Spiritual gifts are granted to every believer by the Holy Spirit who apportions to each Christian individually as he wills. Christians are to use these gifts to serve Christ in the work of the, his kingdom and for the edification of the body of Christ. All believers, all true believers receive some spiritual gift or gifts. No spiritual gift is to be despised, nor is it to be misused to bring glory to any other than Christ. Charles Spurgeon, um, also one of the great uh, theologians and pastors in the past, we look to on this subject, this is what he says, we ought not to limit God where he has not limited himself. Now that's a principle we need to write down on the wall. We ought to not limit God where he has not limited himself. So what do we do with this? What does it mean for us today? How should it affect our everyday lives? How do we take the caution not to miss the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, not to diss and miss the Holy Spirit? First, I want to just, there's three things. One is presence, his perspective, and his power. Um, I think probably one of the most difficult things, at least for me, is to recognize often enough his presence. It's really, it is a difficult thing, and, and we're so distracted by the world. It was so many concerns, good concerns, that it's, it's difficult to recognize his presence. And honestly, what it brings, what comfort, because he's called the comforter, what comfort comes from recognizing God's presence through the Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, I, I like. I get up in the morning, and it might be. It, it takes me a couple of cups of coffee to recognize the presence of the Holy Spirit, and um, I, you know, it takes me a while. And I'm reading the scriptures, and and, and or actually, what I tip, tend to do is I pull out my phone, go through the calendar, look at my day, look at the weather. I love the weather app, and. Uh, I'll, uh, you know, look at my text. I shouldn't be looking at my text. I have disciplined myself to not look at my email before I do my devotion. So I'm making a little, a little improvement there. But I remember not too long ago, I thought, this is great. I wish I could do this more. I got up, and the first thing that hit my mind was, good morning, Lord. Be with me today. I, I, I wish, and we should, shouldn't we, start our day first off. First thought, God is with me. His presence is with me. You know what that does? Brian talked about anxiety. What that does is it brings us joy, not anxiety. Anxiety is the emotion of unbelief. 
Joy is the emotion of faith. So his presence, recognizing uh, his presence all through the day, and you know his guidance. He, he says in John 14, 26, he says, Jesus said to his disciples, and he says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to teach you everything I've, I've said. He's going to remind you of everything he said. And then he will teach you, guess what? All things. He will teach you all things. And I'll say, what categories of things does the Holy Spirit teach us with? All right? Just think about that. What, what does he teach? What does he not teach? I think all things is all things. It can be just something as practical as finding a screw for your dishwasher. I, I, I'm, true story, we'd, we're renovating our kitchen. I'd taken out the dishwasher, and, it was, and I thought I had taped everything, uh, you know, the screws and all the hardware and stuff, put stuff in it. And a few weeks later, I'm you know, putting it back in at a different place. And so I'm looking, and would you know one of those screws ran away? And I'm missing, you know, and it's, it, it's this thing that the thing doesn't, it's not going to work without that screw. And so I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, i got to go to the hardware store. And this is not, a, this is not just a common screw. It's the, the threading and the way it's designed, it's going to be it's very specific for this thing. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, how, you know, as you get a project, you go to the hardware store five times. So I thought, well, you know, i got this screw box out in the, the, my workshop. It's got 5,000 screws in it, and so I'm going to go out there. And I'm not going. Then I thought, you know what, Holy Spirit, Father, would you give help me find this screw at all? I mean, all those screws. And as I was walking to my workshop, He gave me where to look. I promise you. Now I don't know that sounds kind of crazy. I believe that came from the Holy Spirit. I went. I opened that box. The first screw I looked at and put my fingers on was that screw. Now that's practical, right? I think uh, we had a relational problem in our company, and and somebody reported to me, said something, did something, and I just thought, ooh, that's no, it's not. We that's we, you call for correction, but I didn't do it right then. I just said, okay, can we uh, put this on hold? We'll talk about this later. And so then that evening and morning the next day, I just said, God, would you show me how to make this correction? How to do it in a way that is a gospel manner gospel way and it was a public statement and you know how do I handle that how do I handle this person just I'm just going to think through this and I'm going to trust that you're influencing my thinking because that's what your Bible that's what the word says you're going to influence my thinking you're going to show me how to do this in the best possible way now if I'd done it right then I'm sure I would have messed it up that's why I wait I'm, I'm learning a little bit about waiting on the Holy Spirit, waiting to hear from God, rather than just trusting my gut, what I need to do. So I did, and it and it and it worked out. It was great. Um, I one time, it's just as practical. I was, I was, um, we had a, we had a van, and the window motor on the driver's side quit working, and it was going to cost three hundred ninety dollars to repair it. And so I bought one of those aftermarket window motors for sixty one dollars. And the repair manual. I uh, should have bought the repair manual first to see what it said about that that repair. And so then, when I got to it, it says "warning, warning, warning," big bold letters. Uh, people get sent to the hospital for making this this change. It's got it's spring loaded and it blows up and cuts you all to pieces. <laughs> that sounds horrible, doesn't it? And it is horrible. 
So my nine-year-old son was standing right there, and I said, oh, listen to this, David. So would you stand over there out of the way in the safe place? Would you pray for me? Just pray that the Lord would give me the way to do this thing and not get hurt. He stood over there, and he prayed. And I, I worked at it. In 15 minutes, I had it changed. Uh, I think, honestly, I think the Lord did that for David and for me too, to help him to believe. He's now a PCA pastor. And, you know, things like that help our hearts to believe. So it's very, very practical. Then also sometimes it's extraordinary. Now I've got a list of these. I'm going to share one with you. It is very extraordinary. And I want to say that not every time do I pray for someone to be healed or they healed. But this time they were. All right, so uh, in our church in, in uh, uh, Texas was um, <clears throat> a couple, Larry and, and, and Kathy Johnson and their two sons. And Larry, um, uh, Kathy was a vivacious believer, follower of Jesus, Bible teacher. And, and uh, Larry, she dragged him to church. He, would, he just went just because Kathy made me, you know. So he's at church, and then um, and we have, you know, we had dinner with them and had a nice relationship with them and their two sons. And then she calls me. They call me. They're on the phone. Uh, Larry's had a seizure in the middle of the night, <clears throat> and uh, they we've gone to the doctor and they've done an MRI and he's got a brain tumor in a very bad place in his brain, and uh, he may not speak again. They've got to do the surgery. And uh, so I started running with Larry. Now, first of all, Larry, Ph.D., full colonel in the Army, um, the assistant dean of the largest medical school in the country. Um, and so we, we, I'd go out to the base, the Army base, and we'd run together once a week. And uh, I just shared with him that passage in James chapter 5, verse 13, about... If anyone's sick, let them call the elders of, of the church and, and lay hands in the prayer of faith to make the sick person well. And so <clears throat> I shared that with him. I said, what do you think? He says, I think that's the hokiest thing I've ever heard. I said, well, you know, maybe so. But why don't you talk to Kathy about it and see what she thinks and, you know, let me know. So, of course, he goes home and she's all over it. So he comes back the next week, we're running. He says, okay, we're ready. Now I'm just thinking, he still doesn't believe. He's just doing this because his wife's making it. That's all right. So um, I, I called the elders. We, told, we got together. The elders and I, we met for time of, by ourselves, time of confession and prayer and repentance. And we went to their house. <clears throat> and in the, in the room, we had a, a chair in the middle of the room. We're all surrounding him. And there's Kathy, and I'm there. And we're praying. And, you know, just, you know, just normal prayer, Lord, you know, it's your will, heal, this, heal Larry. And I just felt this sense of boldness. It was strange. But I put my hand on his head, and I said, I curse this tumor in Jesus' name and command it to leave. While my hand was on his head, the room filled with such a powerful light that even with our eyes tightly closed, it was, it was hurtful. Then after the light receded, everybody is silent. We're just stunned. And one of the elders said, he's now a PCA pastor too. One of the elders said, I don't know what just happened here, but God did something here today. 
So uh, four hours later, I'm at home, and they call me on the phone. They're together on the phone, and they said, well, we went, we, we, um, we, they left right from there to go to the hospital for the last MRI for the brain mapping uh, for his surgery the very next morning. So they went, and they did the MRI, and, um, and they did it again. And both MRIs, two sets of radiologists looked at it and said there's no tumor to operate on. And uh, they looked at the one previous week before, and there's a tumor, and here's these two, no tumor. So they never did surgery, they never had another seizure to this day. That was 20 years ago. So God does extraordinary things. God did that. He chose to do this. By the way, Larry is now a believer. As a matter of fact, he greeted and spoke to every incoming uh, class of cadets at that medical school, and he would, he would, you know, here he is, this, you know, powerful, educated uh, person, credentialed, and he said, you know, we're, gonna, we, we're, good, we're good at teaching how to heal people. We're going to do that really well here, but I want to tell you there's another way. And he shared his testimony. If you want to talk about that, just come see me afterwards. I bet that man's led more people to Christ with that testimony than I ever would. The power of the Holy Spirit. Don't ever underestimate it. It's amazing. Now, you may not have ever experienced anything like that, but you see what Jonathan Edwards said is true. Just because you have an experience doesn't mean that God doesn't do it. And when you do hear the stories from somebody else doing it, you heard, you heard uh, uh, Peter Underwood's story when he was uh, uh, becoming a member of our church uh, of how uh, Brian and... Um, Brandon prayed over him, and I mean, he was—he only had twenty percent of his heart uh, working, and then uh, a week later, he's healed. God does that right here among us. Don't think that He doesn't. So, <clears throat> I got to the principal's office, <laughs> and I'm—I mean, I'm just now here's Mr. Kinnamer. <clears throat> And he had something in his hand. It wasn't a paddle. I was thankful. Back then, they paddled people. Um, my parents, so I wanted to be in the band. I'm fifth grade. I wanted to be in the band. And, and so my parents thinking, you know, is he going to stick with this or what? So uh, they bought me this ratty old clarinet. I didn't even want to play the clarinet. So they, but they buy me the worst. I mean, it's got all these broken pieces on it. It squeals and squeaks and had to use rubber bands on it. And, but I stayed with it. I mean, it, it was terrible, but I stayed with it. And so I get to the principal's office, but rather than a punishment that I got, he, he gave me a brand new clarinet. Brand new. He said, you, you know, tells me a story. Your parents, you've proven yourself, parents. And, and they said, buy you a new one. And here it is, been delivered, so I'm going to give it to you. So my fear turned to joy. And that's what should happen when we experience God. Fear turns to joy. Let's pray. Hey, Pastor Ryan here. We're so glad that you've tuned in with us and watched one of our online sermons. Our vision as a church is to live as the family of God, together proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of grace to one another in our city. If you don't have a church home or you're looking for a church, we'd invite you to attend one of our in-person worship gatherings so you can experience all that God has for us as a community of believers on mission.